Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got a very special show for you today with a great friend of mine, Antoine Lorenz. Uh, Antoine was the first person I did a really, uh, my first kind of big bivy across the Sierras with Nick Reese and Oriel Fernandez and Brad Sander and Eric Reed. Uh, very special time. It was an 18-day trip from the southern end of the Sierras up to the Oregon border. Uh, I met Antoine in beer in India back in 2009, and then again flew with him in 2011 in beer uh, with the Himalayan Sky Safaris guys. So uh, John Sylvester and Jim Mallinson and Eddie Colfax. Uh, Antoine's been very, very much a mentor to me. Uh, he's just he's one of the most amazing pilots I've ever seen, actually. I mean, his ground handling skills and WAGA and tandem, and he does it all, and he's been flying for, uh, I think he started flying in 92, uh, we've here in this episode, so he's got way more than 20 years under his belt and uh, just has this incredible passion for it. He just came off a kite surfing trip, so I mean, if, if, if a wing, if it's a wing, he flies it. Uh, he instructs, he does uh, guided bivy trips across the Alps and the Himalaya, uh, just a really neat guy. So. In this episode, we talk about uh, how all that progression happened, um, what kind of accidents he sees and how they can be uh, easily avoided. We talk about kind of some specific techniques for dealing with wind. We talk about ground handling. Uh, we have a lot of laughs. I think you're going to really enjoy this show. So without further ado, please enjoy this uh, awesome talk with a great friend, Antoine Lorenz. Antoine, uh, this is so cool. I wish we were catching up in person instead of uh, over Skype at opposite ends of the earth. But uh, it's really cool to kind of circle back around to uh, the gentleman who got me into really all of this oh, yeah. madness all those years ago. So uh, welcome to the mayhem and, and uh, really stoked to have you on the show. Well, thanks. Now, I don't know if I got you in, but <laughs> at the point, yeah, we had uh, some adventures together. So that's good. Yeah, nice we, to be here. we had some great adventures together. Well, uh, before you uh, tell tell the audience here about your history and how you got into paragliding, I want to hear a little bit about kite surfing. I understand you've been, uh, you've gotten the bug quite badly and you've just gotten back from a couple couple months tour. What were you doing and where were you? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a lot into kite surfing. It's uh, obviously uh, an easy sport when you come from uh, paragliding. Like uh, the, the the flying skills help a lot to uh, to be good with your kite. Yeah, I started kite at the beginning of this activity in France, and it has a lot of evolution now. Uh, like paragliding few years ago, I guess now uh, kite surfing is going in um, really specific direction. You have the people who surf the big wave. You have the people who do some freestyles. You have uh, the strapless tendons, like everybody is going like the whole soul spirit uh, without uh, any strap on the board. Uh, you have these new things with uh, the hydrofoil, which is uh, which is very interesting, uh, a new era in kite surfing. So plenty of uh, of uh, how can I say of uh, nice enjoyment with kite surfing. It's a good thing, and also you can do that every time uh, it's not flying, <laughs> which yeah. is not bad as well. The, the two go very hand in hand, don't they? It was really interesting when we got started with the Best Odyssey. It, that was uh, back, let's see, in 2006, I guess. Um, you know, in the beginning, everybody was on twin tips. You know, nobody was on surfboards. And then by the end, you know, in 2010, 2011, I don't think we had anybody riding a twin tip ever. It was everybody was riding strapless yeah. and riding surfboards. And it was really cool to kind of see the the evolution of the sport. Uh, it's getting big. It's getting big. Yeah. Is it is it growing? So I, you know, I'm kind of out of touch with it now. We've still got our boat going, but is it? Uh, it hasn't really it plateaued like like paragliding. It's it, it's getting it bigger. It is growing because you you can see like a lot, a lot of more school um, arriving. I mean, everywhere in every country, a lot of beaches, a lot of spots, new spots, and they just uh, yeah. I, I guess it's a it's a big growing activities. I don't know where it will stop. It's obviously a little bit more complex. Uh, to operate because uh, other people are on the beach. So some places will have to have, uh, you know, kind of uh, ruling. But uh, yeah, it's going. It's going a lot of kiters all around them. Mm. 
Well, Antoine, let's let's rewind the clock a little bit. With uh, I'd love to hear about your your history with with flying. Uh, we could talk a lot about kite surfing, of course, but I, you know, like you said, that the two go really hand in hand. And I think if you're, you know, if you're skilled at one, the other comes quite easily. But uh, your skill in the air with a paraglider is, uh, in my opinion, pretty unmatched. And I'd love to just hear about <laughs> you and I met back in. 2009 and beer and you were doing some really cool bivy stuff uh with with eddie and jim mallinson and and john sylvester but um take me back to the very beginning how did you get into the sport uh and and how has it been such a huge player in your life well um i was uh, 17 i guess uh i was passionate with climbing rock climbing like the, the modern uh, escalade, as we call it. And um, we were spending a lot of time on the cliff, uh, in the sun, you know, and and climbing is very technical and intense, muscular and everything. And, and I saw this guy flying over the the climbing site, you know, evening time, sunset, when we were leaving, in fact, the, the climbing site. And I saw this guy uh, really hanging around over the cliff gently, you know, in, in the nice light from the sunset. And, and I thought, like, well, I must be cool, you know, and really to, to do that after a big climbing session. And then that was it, I guess. Uh, I wanted to try after that. And um, it took a few years, but uh, I slowly lost uh, uh, total motivation to climb and it, it it was all replaced by flying and uh, yeah that's how give, we start <laughs> give me a, give me a year 17. Uh, that was in 92 i guess 92 93 something like that so right back in the in the very early days okay so uh and then yeah, what? glider were glider were pretty uh <laughs> simple simple <laughs> simply made you know compared to now but it was still not the complete beginning. But I, I guess my first glider was like a 12 cell, something like that. That was a, a Star Brand Azure, which was a, a French brand at this time. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I bought my first glider. I saw an announce in a newspaper. Uh, this guy was selling uh, a bunch of uh, gliders. And it was mentioned down the announce only for decoration. And uh, so I guess the, the price was going to be cheap. So I called <laughs> this guy and I, bu- I bought my first glider, 300 uh, francs. So it would be uh, hardly about 50 euro today. And um, the guys told me, you cannot fly with that. It's only for decoration and this and that. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> and the first things I done was <laughs> I run into a field. I took my uh, my climbing harness, uh, managed to, to transform my one point harness into two point to put the riser on <laughs> and then I, I start my first my first running down and first little glide and and yeah that was the the, the complete beginning <laughs> <laughs> okay and then how did you uh so let's let's skip forward a few years uh you, you get the climb you get the flying bug bad and you uh you leave climbing behind uh so how how did the how did the kind of progression from <laughs> flying with a with a climbing harness to uh to real wings how did that all yeah, go yeah that's an interesting question you know because uh, i got a story for that i mean it's not really uh good but uh, it doesn't matter i mean that that that's about my first crash because i was about uh, let's say 100 flight it's it's a good limit usually for for people and 100 flight uh, number and i was flying with um, there was a 301 storm from custom sail and i had a very very tiny harness that was like a, a training harness there was absolutely no protection but i still had a, a speed bar on it and uh, that was in my hometown. That was a restitution condition. And I kind of left the first time the site. It was late in the evening. The hair was gentle and, and, and there was a nice lift. And I just left for my first little cross country. And nobody told me how to really use a speed bar. And I remember crossing a small valley. I was totally standing up on my speed bar. I mean, my harness was, was up in my back, you know, and, and I was really standing up on this little wooden bar. And then, uh, obviously, but the, the whole wings went. <laughs> a big collapse. And I, I, I must have fall, you know, like about 100, 140 meters and hit the forest under. And a friend was following me, and he, he kind of went down, land, 
run back to me in the mountains, find me hanging on my harness. I was nothing, a little bit shocked, but I was about one meter over the ground. My, my harness plate was broke and uh, I was fine. So that was the big, first big thing, you know. The, the problem for me, like, the, the firemen came to, to see me because one, one guy in the valley just called them. And uh, when the firemen come and make a, a rescue, they, they have to mention it in the newspaper. So the next day, I got a call from my mom, which leave, you know, 100 k's away, which say, okay, what can I do for you to help with your progression in paragliding? Because <laughs> I can read in the newspaper, you know, on a bad landing somewhere. <laughs> and then uh, she bought me my first uh, gel harness, which was a Nurican gel uh, from Next, I guess. And that was my first big harness with protection, and I was very happy. <laughs> I love it. Your mom, <laughs> Antoine, I need to buy you harness. What, what do you need? <laughs> that was a good story. Yeah. So it started a little bit uh, rough, but I guess this is the way you learn. Uh, obviously, it has to, to don't leave you too much with any, any problem and physical problem. But if it's happened this way, mentally, if you can pass over that, then, uh, then it's always a good learning. And it's... Uh, after that, I didn't have anything anymore. <laughs> For the last 20 years, I didn't have any accident. I mean, bad accident after that. So that was the first one, a good one, and, uh, and I will always, always remember it. What do, you, what do you credit that to? And I mean, that's amazing. So, you know, 20 years without a, a, a bad accident. Um, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen you fly. You are a WAGA master. Uh, and for those of you listening uh, in North America, don't, you know, WAGA is a very European term, but basically, you know, just playing in, in, the, in the dunes and the beach and very low and, you know, very playful flying, I guess I would call it, but ground, yeah, free, ground free, handling. Freestyle, freestyle close, to the, close to the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you credit that huge period of time and thousands of hours without an accident? Uh, I would say first, the, 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 like you say, the, the thousands of hours, uh, that, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, let's say an average of two, three hundred hours every year uh, for these last 20 years for me. And um, a lot of tandem, but a lot of playing around and always having fun. Uh, fortunately, the place where I fly, is, it's a good place with strong condition. Often we got some strong wind and I grew up with this strong wind. That's what I all that's why I also do uh, kitesurfing. Um, and then for sure, but to practice in strong wind all the time. And then after a while, you get good at it. Uh, it. It always goes with a few slap on the way. <laughs> no worries. When I say bad accident, no bad accident, but <laughs> a lot of little slap will always <laughs> bring you back in the right way. You know, I mean, sure. I don't think it's possible to make a total progression without having any... Uh, any problem at the point mm. it's just about when it's happened you just want to minimize the maximum and yeah to to come back on it really fast mentally that's that's the key but mm. in you know in my progression at a point um after this uh, first incident let, let's say the first one I, I talked before uh it took me a good year to come back uh to proper flying like I, I really, sp I remember really spending a lot of time behind the takeoff. Uh, I mean, we got a really round and sloppy, nice grassy takeoff, and we can play a little bit ground and link behind. And I spent a lot of time there with strong wind just to get confidence with my glider. And, and, and I didn't allow myself to take off for nearly one year. I was just thinking, okay, what well, once you manage to to walk till the edge with your glider, with this strong wind, then, then you'll have the level to take off. If you can pass already the little bank and then turn these trees on the right and then pass this bush by the left. And, you know, this, this kind of little exercise. I've done a lot to build up my confidence. And after that, I was kind of okay. There, you, you've been an instructor now for a long time. Um, and I, I think one of the one of the big misconceptions with people that are just getting into the sport is with ground handling is ground handling is bringing the wing up and getting off the hill. How do you how do you approach, you know, which is not ground handling, that's just let's just launching uh, How do you how do you instill a desire in, in your students to really take on this really critical aspect of the sport? 
yeah, that it's it's a it's a good point. Like it's very hard in uh, in a normal way to in the school when people are, are paying their course when you know when they when they really booked in in a course to to spend a lot of hours running. Everybody want to fly fast. Every everybody want to to have this sensation of fly. I guess <laughs> few demonstrations sometimes. Are useful, and then you can people people have to see the magic uh, the magic side side of it. You know, it's mm. it's absolutely fantastic. For sure, you need to have a proper place to do it. Uh, I would say some places, most part of the places in the mountains, they just allow you to take off, to leave the ground, and and go out. And uh, it's not so often that you find places where the terrain is really soft and inviting you to touch your feedback, you know, and and just play with it. And 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 I would I would say it's the most important thing. You have to be in osmosis with the terrain. It has to be nice and easy. Condition have to be properly perfect for uh, this angle of terrain. And then you can play. And then it's really uh, it's a lot of pleasure. Antoine, we're gonna we're gonna talk about bivy flying because my my first uh, huge bivy uh, was was with you in the in the Sierras, a very very special trip. Um, but before we get to that, how how did you how did you go from those you know those early days? You take this year of not flying, you learn how to ground handle. How did you turn it into really your living? Uh, what what was the what was the stretch there? Because I know for many many years now. You know, paragliding is is one of the main ways that you uh, you survive. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I had other choice, <laughs> but you know, you know what you can, you can. I mean, you do what you can do uh, in a way. Um, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's funny, but uh, I really loved it from the beginning. You know, it's uh, it's flying. It's incredible. Um, happily, I, I grew up not far from small tourist area where uh, the the season work, where the, the the big activities like where I'm living is one of the first uh, climbing spot in in the whole of France, and so you have a lot of outdoorsy people, and um, yeah, I mean very fast we could, uh, I mean I, I I went through few schools before setting setting up my my own school. But from the beginning, it was about uh, instructing and guiding, and uh, then starting some tour uh, in a foreign country. Then the tandem season, which is intense and short where I live, but which is really good because it's every day a little competition for for all of us here. Um, and then slowly, slowly, uh, some some course. I would guess a, a big thing has to be my travels in India. Uh, where the first time I have not been there to fly, in a way, and uh, I, I discover totally par hazard, uh, um, I arrive in this place. The name is uh, Panjgani, which is in the, in the Western Ghats of uh, of India, a little bit south of uh, Mumbai, and it was a fantastic fly flying place. And the next year I came back uh, with my glider, and uh, and and yeah, we start this bigger uh, Indian flying adventure. Uh, a few years later, we arrived in Beer, uh, also by hazard, and there was only, uh, let's say, 10, 15 pilots there, uh, at least for four seasons. Uh, at the complete beginning, we, we were there, and there was only 10, 15 pilots. That was really the beginning, and, I mean, you have been there, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's uh, simply magic, the, the environment over there. You can only uh, begin to be uh, or to, to, to think a little, little bivy, you know, attitude because it's, it's really, the terrain is really inviting. The culture of the, the, the people are really inviting. You just want to top lane and we're and everywhere on every top of mountain and have a cup of tea with the locals, you know. <laughs> That's what you want to do. Yeah, it's magic. Is that, is that where you first did your first bivvies or were you doing them already in France? Uh, no, that that's that's in India where uh, where really uh, I had this inspiration to to okay let's let's leave this site and 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 just follow this range you know and and just go with it just go with the terrain as long as we can that that's really Himalaya who who brought this idea to me uh, in France I didn't talk to that because. We know the Alps and uh, more for a ski destination. Okay, it's flying everywhere now. It's, I mean, it's really, really popular. But uh, it was 
I don't know. Yeah, it was not so easy to, how can I say, to be and to find yourself in the wild. Like very fast in, in Himalaya, you will, you will be landing and, and there will be no road access, nothing. So you'll be directly with the locals in the country. You know? So the, the film that you guys made uh, with Eric Reed and your, your big baby from, and, and help me out. Did you, you started in Dharamsala, is that correct? And you went through to. Yeah, we went, we, we started in B, we went to Dharamsala to make the point. And then uh, we went for the next uh, 44 days altogether till, uh, till the border of Sikkim. We, we stopped a little bit before the border of Sikkim. We couldn't reach Sikkim, and Sikkim is uh, the other side, of, the other side of Nepal, and so you have the the Indian part, the the, ne- the West Nepali part, the Eastern part, and then Sikkim. Uh, but uh, we couldn't finish the objective. The objective was to reach India again. So Sikkim is a is a state uh, from India, and we wanted to to reach this point. I guess it was a one thousand six six hundred kilometer mark or something like that but uh, we done one three one four something like that between the two don't remember exactly in 46 days 44, 44. we had a big, we, we had a big break in Pokhara, unfortunately because the, the weather were was very stable and uh and we just spent one week uh eating cake <laughs> so it was it was not really part anymore of the BV, but the, the actual BV was uh, yeah yeah the 44 days altogether, 30 34 days of, in fact, in the mountains totally. Yeah, no, no, I I I, I think I have not been uh, under uh, 2,005 or 3,000 meters for for more than 20, 25 days, something like that. I stay over that. Had a lot of red cells, you know, <laughs> was good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the questions we get a lot from from uh, folks that listen to the podcast is, you know, I hear you guys talking so much about Volbiv, and they, you know, they've seen uh, they've seen John Sylvester's movies, or they've seen the Rockies Traverse, or the Himalayan Odyssey, the one you guys did, and and they're inspired. Where where would you send people, and and what skills would they need to have? I know you you've been leading these kind of short bivy trips in the alps the last few years yeah. so what what would what would you recommend because really for me I, I didn't even know what it was until i came to to beer the first time and and john uh, sylvester and i did a little you know overnight bivy back to yeah. manali mm-hmm. and came back and it was just just blew my mind and that's what set me off on all this uh this madness but where how would you uh, would you send them to beer? Would you send them to the Alps? Uh, what, what would you recommend? Uh, it's it's a hard question. I mean, there is so many places where you can do that. Um, I mean, it, it's it's all about, when I think to the, the beer situation, it's all about uh, going somewhere where you cannot access by by uh, other way than, yeah, maybe walking, but no other way than, than, than flying. And uh, the magic in beer is you will be, you can be only 15 kilometers behind the main ridge, but you can be totally lost at 4,000 uh, top landed on a grassy uh, summit and, and uh, <laughs> having a conversation with a local, you know, and being totally out of the world. And that, that I guess that's the, the really magic part of it. It's, uh, it's fantastic. After where to go, uh, it's hard to say. Himalaya is great because, as we said earlier, it's not only about uh, flying and bivouacking. You will meet people. You will you will meet the, the locals all around, and it's a it's a fantastic immersion in the in the culture. Um, where in the Alps, you will <laughs> not meet so much uh, real locals, but uh, you have facilities. You can you can drive up the next day to the to the next takeoff. Uh, it's pretty much organized, so it's it's a it's a different aspect of of uh, BV flying, in a way. You know, it's 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 all BV, but uh, it's it's there is so many different branches to this uh, sport. You know, you can do it wild on your own, uh, only with self-supported uh, equipment. You can do it uh, like we done for the Himalaya as a team. So one of the objective was to stay together a maximum. Uh, a little bit like we done together in the in US uh, 
we wanted to be more in US because there was some bears and, uh, and uh, mountain lions problems. So we wanted to stay together even more. But you know, I mean, every, every I would say every range, you have to adapt your gear and you have to adapt your uh, your BV attitude. If mm. I can say something like that. Sure. Well, what what about skill level? You know, when you when you've done these trips. Uh, you know, when I think about guiding uh, a bivy trip, that makes me pretty nervous. But you and, and Eddie and Johnny, you guys have all kind of mastered this craft in a sense. What do you – what level of pilot are you are you willing to accept? And, and uh, I guess is there a level that's just, okay, this isn't going to work? Um we might change uh, or i might change my decision you know to go somewhere or somewhere else in function of what i can see in the sky on one of the pilot if i feel suddenly uh, a huge amount of i mean the, the problem often happen when you try to top land mm. i guess it's as the number one skill you need to be able uh, to to top land properly safely in kind of any type of condition and uh, to be perfect, it would be in any type of terrain. But uh, by flying a certain techniques or certain way in, in, in the BV, you, you can avoid some problem about top landing, which is having time to choose one, which is uh, really spend a bit of time before top landing and, and analyzing the, the hair mass and see how it goes and maybe wait for a good cycle to come in. Uh, so if you have a bit of time, it, it's different. But for sure, the first skill will be top landing. So, uh, it's not about, I mean, everybody is able very, very fast to, to do some distance, especially in all these big ranges. It's uh, pretty easy, usually, if you use some, uh, some uh, normal route. Uh, it's, it's happening uh, well. Uh, the only thing is, okay, we decide to stop at a point, and then everybody has to be able to, to top land safe. Uh, you don't want to break your legs uh, on the summit at 3,000 or 2,005 somewhere. Uh, that would be a little bit uh, complicated. So that would be uh, skill number one for me. Mm. On the on the Sierra trip, uh, the very first day, uh, we saw how it could go bad uh, with with uh, Brad's very unfortunate accident, but also in some ways quite fortunate. Uh, you know, he went in very hard there and crashed and yeah. uh, did quite a bit of damage. And then his uh, wing relaunched and he was able to fly down to a soccer field to a, a, <laughs> a waiting ambulance. Yeah. Um, for I me, it was, it was crazy, right? Oh, my God. But uh, for me, it was really, you know, that was kind of my first, you know, I had done this little bivy with John and some other, you know, small trips, but that was my first big one. And that was very instructive for me because you and Nick were able to top land up there which was really dicey it was a, it was a tough spot I, I i i think i remember that nick broke his uh his harnesses top landing also in, in the big rocks yeah i guess you know the, the the place was not good in a way the the place was wrong obviously uh and uh it's all about that it's all about having time to choose the right place I, I guess I remember this time we had, we had a little bit of um, we were not sure about the weather forecast, no? Yeah. Um, if yeah, I remember, some were, very bad information. <laughs> uh, we had some bad information, and we have been totally influenced by it because we we didn't feel that in the sky. And I remember once we top landed with uh, Nick Greece, a little bit one hour later we saw two gliders passed over our, our head, and it was still flying. Yeah. So oh, it's funny, eh? it's never. Um, it's never, how can I say, it's an accident. It's always happening after a, a, a cascade of incident, you know. You sure. always got like one bad information, a bit of stress probably because we were on our first day. Uh, another piece of stress because this is the rocky and um, this part is really full of rocks. I mean, we were used to Himalaya grassy slope and rhododendron, uh, you know, uh, ridge. But there was not, that was not the case in, in this part of the world. And a bit of all overexcitement and top landing in a place which is wrong. So all that leads to a little incident. And happily, this time it, it, it happened and uh, Brad was only uh, mentally scared, I guess, but not, not much uh, physically. Right, so right. How have you maintained, you said earlier in the show, you, you know, you, you're flying 200, 300 hours a year for the last 20 years. 
that's a lot of hours. Uh, how have you maintained, and I can still hear your passion and excitement for the sport in, in, your, in your voice, you know, after all I'm these steeped. years, you love it. I know you do. I know it. It's awesome. But how, how have you maintained that passion and that love? Because I, a lot of the, the, the guests, uh, we've had on the show, you know, their, their progression is often quite steep. Uh, you know, it starts like everybody, there's the magic of stepping off a mountain and then they, they build skill and they start putting it together and they, you know, Nick calls it cracking the code and you start flying bigger distances. And I think the trap that many people fall into is, and, and one I've been in myself is you start chasing distance or records, or then you get into competitions and, and uh, you know, if you're not on the podium, it's, you know, it's a, it sucks and you get frustrated. And I, I think people go through this kind of arc and then uh, they either either plateau in their own ability and and get maybe bored or less excited about the sport, or uh, you know they get hurt or they get scared. How have you kind of maintained this this uh, you know you you've you've had this incredible arc as well, but then you've maintained it. Yeah. How have you done that? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean. Two times in, in, in my progression, I had some, uh, some slow motion, uh, you know, where, where I kind of lose a little bit the passion. And I'm, I'm, I'm very glad, like, we, I was able to stop a bit and analyze, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing too much of this, and uh, I should stop. And I remember when, when uh, a few years after we discovered uh, India, in a way, um, the, the, the Indian site and all, I, I was doing a lot of tandems there. Um, there was this site, a lot of potential tourism from Mumbai and, and outside. And then we started this tandem business uh, with some um, Indian pilots. We were locals from there, you know, and, and that was great for me because that was also a moment I could go into their cultures. Working with these guys was like, I understand more. And we done a lot of tandem and uh, for two months in a winter. And this time I came back to France and I had again my tandem season starting and I was like maybe more than four, 400, 500 tandems in the whole year. And that was too much. And uh, I didn't want to fly at all anymore. Not even in tandem, not even in, in solo. I, I reached the point where phew, that's too much. And this is hard because it, it, it's, it's happening to, to all of us, uh, whether it's in competition, or like you said, like if, if you don't make results or whatever, or if you chase record and it's hard and... Uh, it, it happened to all of us. I guess it's uh, a sport now which got like kinds of so many branches that you can uh, you can change for a while and do something different. Uh, right now, for example, I, I really love to to leave from my house and just uh, jump in the back forest and climb up to take off. Uh, whether it's it's good or not, just it's mostly for the walk, you know. And and I get a light glider with me. And I just try to find some uh, new places to take off, and I just try to <laughs> to fly back to my place without any pretension, without going for distance, without just just to make an exercise where you can do uh, a bit of paramotoring, you can do uh, a lot of things which are linked to flying, uh, who can who can help you to not lose the patient. Mm. But uh, one of the big things for me is like the, the tandem. You know, it can it can be people might thought like okay it's boring to do that every day but the funny things with tandem is uh in my place at least we we fly every hours of the day and uh it's crazy you know you can really analyze the whole air mass during a whole days you can feel every changement hours by hours which was it was not there the last flight and then it'll be different the next one and it's it's a it's a it's a real game and sometimes you're able to bring this pleasure to uh, to your customer, to your passenger, and that's fantastic when you can see a smile and like oh, a few years later, people are coming back and they say, "Oh, I flew with you five, five four, 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 five years ago." Sorry, and uh, that was fantastic. I'm coming back. I bring my whole family now, <laughs> and uh, you know this kind of thing. So yeah, it, it it can be hard. It can be hard. I guess it it's about slowing down a little bit sometimes. Uh, refocus your practice uh, or, or, or try something different just to come back later on it. What have you, when you, in your years and years of instruction, and obviously 
all the flying you've done. Uh, not to talk about the dark side, but I think this is always instructive. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of accidents. I know you've seen a lot of accidents. Are there some? Are there some? Uh, telltales before they happen that you think god that could have that could have been so easily preventable you know what what do you what do you try to instill in your students to uh help them kind of navigate that potential minefield you know as they start getting better and they get uh, maybe they get over their 100 flights they start getting some hours they start getting an ego maybe about it or maybe some confidence which can be dangerous uh, what how do you how do you help them through that period yeah, in, in the accident curve, uh, there is a big point around uh, 100 flight or 100 hours of flight. You know, that that's this point where someone is starting to fly, starting to understand the lift, and it's it's kind of, he already done his first cross-country, but it, that's the moment he's going to push. Uh, that That's a, an important limit, and we always uh, notice some accident at, at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm not a pushy instructor you know I'm, I'm, I'm mostly uh, try to hold back a little bit I'm, I'm, I'm try, I, I try to be really cautious with uh, my students and um, it, uh, how can I say you, you need to be a good psychologue like you need to be able to see very fast if uh, this pilot is uh, how can I say a burn head you know it, it just go for it without too much thinking or or contrary of that, you, you can you can push him up because he's really um, uh, how can I say he's really uh, safe in his vision and he, in his decisions. And then he, he might be pushed and that'll be fantastic. It's it's really hard to judge that. I always need a few days <laughs> to uh, to be able to to see what I can do with people. For sure, when when the whole uh, magical conditions are, are there, you know, uh, you can see some fantastic progression. Uh, I had a, a student this year in Himalaya and and uh, he was already doing some cross country, but not much. And and, um, and we managed, I had only one week with them, so it was pretty short and intense. And uh, I managed at the end of the day to make uh, at the end of the, the course, sorry, to make a little incursion into the back. You know, the, the back in, in beer is a is a big uh, mind step in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also a big elevation step, mm-hmm. but it's also a big mind step for, for most of the people. And I managed to to bring this guy a little bit inside for one hour, made a climb and came back, you know, and that was incredible the joy they had. Mm. And uh, and that was risky, but I kind of stuck with this guy, you know, from the whole week, really, really close to them, and uh, and build up this confidence. Like I say, okay, let's go. You got a good height. You got a good height. You follow me. We go boom, and uh, without hesitation, they followed, and then we climb up. I already gave them a limitation of height. Like I say, once you reach four or four thousand two, then you know if you're not comfortable you you can glide back so um, that's an important point you always have to give an objectives and uh, already have in mind the upper part of it or the lower part of it like if you see the guys struggling with the first objective then you need to come down on 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 a lower objective and contrary if it's good then you can jump up you know on the next one i think i think um this is just reminding me, I had the hugest smile on my face when you were talking about that, because I think part of our culture in the States and Canada is that we don't, we don't do, we don't do guided trips. You know, it's, it's just not part, you know, like mountain guiding is just much, much bigger in Europe. Uh, it's just a very natural thing you do. You go to a new area and you get a mountain guide and, uh, and, and it just radically increases your safety, but also their knowledge is, it just helps you navigate the mountains. And I think what you and, and Eddie and, you know, the Himalayan sky safari team have tapped into, and there are many others, you know, uh, Toby Colomb's doing it with passion paragliding and many others, but there's, uh, I, I want to encourage our listeners to, especially if you're, if you're starting out, that it's just an amazing way to one, get well, just get very quality time. Like when you go to beer for the first time, uh, following you guys around in that terrain was 
that's not how we fly here. It's just crazy where you can stuff a glider in the Himalayas because there isn't the wind factor typically. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really magical. And to have that kind of handlebar uh, right next to you, guiding you along or pulling you out of a tough place, uh, you you really learn a lot. I think that's a, it's a very, it must be very stressful for you as a, as an instructor, (laughs) as a guide, but it's, oh, I hope this guy gets out of here, but, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's, 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 I want to, yeah, I want to encourage our our listeners to do that because it's kind of like going to a competition. It's compressed learning. You know, you, you learn a lot in a very short period of time, don't you? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a special, <laughs> it's a special course uh, that we propose. Uh, both, both them and me. I'm, I'm a bit uh, doing uh, some my own course now, <laughs> but I'm working sometime with with John and Eddie still. And um, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I guess one of the key is uh, we keep a low uh, ratio. Like uh, we often use. Uh, one guide for maximum three pilots. That's what I do in my uh, Alpine adventure every year. Um, if I have six customers, then I will take two, two, two guys, and and I, I really try to have uh, one guide for for three customers, just because uh, then you you you're available, you know, and you're able to 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 spiral down and go to pick someone and 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 get back to the group, and and that's easy. But more than that, it's 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 really difficult if you want to do a good job. I guess mm. uh, that would be one one big thing. But yeah, it is uh, it is a different approach, and it's also close of the the real flying. You know, like birds just uh, travel with it, yeah. and. Uh, this is transforming this this uh, sport into a, a real lifestyle. Like you're traveling with this machine, and and this machine is uh, you know bringing you from this area to this area, and and that that's your that's a full travel. So yeah, it, it's a special way to fly, but it's it's fantastic. Mm, it is fantastic. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. I'm going soon for an alpine adventure this year. We we do a hub the way from Nice to Chamonix, and uh, we'll do a down the way this time, which is the first from uh, Interlaken to Nice. So we will be a little bit ahead of you guys in the Exalp. Good. Like, you can show me the way. You can you can send, you can send <laughs> me weather reports from. A- <laughs> from ahead that'd be fantastic um and we'll we'll put that uh we'll put all those links to your trips in the show notes and i'll ask you here at the end how people can get a hold of you and stuff but before we go there because i i want to encourage people to take that trip it's i know it is awesome i've had friends that have done it and it's just an incre- incredible way to learn and an incredible way to see the alps and the alps let's face it are, are complicated you know they're they're not uh they're not a, a totally simple place to go especially if you haven't flown there much so to do it with somebody like you is a real as a very special treat you talked about tandems uh i'm not a tandem pilot uh it's kind of an obvious thing to do you learn how to fly you get into it and suddenly oh well you know you can fly tandems and make some money but i hear a lot that it's it often doesn't help your solo flying what's your opinion on that um to tell the truth, at the end of my tandem season, when I pick back my solo glider, uh, I need a good, <laughs> I need a good three, four days to get back on on proper flying. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's just we we're so used to this um, handling uh, resistance, you know, which is not the same. Uh, so to go from one to the other, it always take a few days to adapt, mm. uh, without hesitation. To, to say that it doesn't help, I, 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 don't, I don't agree in a way because um, it, it, it brings the hours anyway. Mm. For me, uh, in the summer, I, I do a lot of tandems. Well, this, this is how I make my living, so I'm a bit, bit obliged to do that. Uh, if I could uh, cross the Alps every week, I would probably do it, but <laughs> it's a more complex organization. But the tandem is also simple and nice. And... Um, it is, you still fly, you know, in the Hermas, most part of the time in, in our site here, it's pretty strong in the afternoon and, and solo glider doesn't fly, simply. And uh, you will only see tandem in the sky. Not because not only the wind uh, can only be because conditions are a bit stronger and then uh, it's only instructor kind of flying with the tandems and... Uh, but it's a good game for us. Uh, all the pilots here, we, we have about 20 tandem pilots in the, in the summer. 
and it's a big competition, you know. You have uh, it's our local competition every day. You have this day where it's massively stable, and you're with your customer. Everybody is looking at each other at the takeoff, and who is the one which is going to go first and might take a risk to find a lift. Uh, if you don't find it, then you cannot sell your tandem properly. <laughs> so <laughs> you got this kind of days. You got the days where where it's it's fantastically unstable, and 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 within a 35 minute flight, you can reach up cloud base and cross the entire valley, and then come back instead of scratching the cliff, you know, under the takeoff. Or so it's it's still. I, I mean, uh, I'm still uh, exciting excited. Sorry um, about my my season in tandem. It's it's good fun. Uh, I've, I'm lucky to work with a fantastic team. We, we are four instructors to work together, and it's, it's a really good team. We have a lot of love in the sky, in the van, uh, after the walk, all the time. It's, it's, it's good vibes, really. I'm really happy to, to still have this job, you know? Mm. What part of flying are you most excited about these days? You know, you've had this incredibly long career. It's, it sounds like you've got a pretty equal passion for all aspects of it. But are there are there uh, are there certain times of the year you get really excited? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, every year I'm 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 going to this uh, Himalayan part that we talked about before uh, in October November, and this is always uh, a big excitement for sure. Uh, I would say when spring is coming, uh, right now in France it's it's winter time and. Uh, Spring is starting. We already some got, got some good condition, you know, and then yeah, everybody's excited. Everybody has not, uh, everyone has not fly during the winter, and uh, everybody everybody is going up to take off, even if the condition has, are not that fantastic. So that's an exciting part, and yeah, Waga also the June the the June de Pilar or any place you find some sand units uh, at something fantastic just to play around. Mm. The problem of the the flying eh, is usually when it's a little bit like diving. Once you take off, uh, you cannot stop. You cannot stop and 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 have a drink. I mean, you can have a drink, but you cannot stop. You know, and like in a tennis game, or you can make a break and and mm. take your game five minutes later. Uh, once you you take off and you're on you're on your distance or whatever you do, you you cannot uh, stop the whole things. With wagas and these kind of things, um, even with BV, he, uh, you 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 can fly and then you can top land and have a break and and go again and and come back and think to some things and okay I'm going this way and try this time, you know it's 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 a different uh, different part of the sport. I love it for that. You you're not totally stuck in your harness. You can you can. I mean, it happened for me at, at the beginning. I didn't have this, um, uh, the, the camera, how you call that, the, to make pee pee. <laughs> <laughs> the catheter. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, the catheter. <laughs> well, the, I don't know the, the name exactly. <laughs> the pee pee tube, let's yeah, say. Yeah, the condom tube. <laughs> I, I, I was not really friendly with the pee pee tube at the beginning. And uh, in beer, I, I, I was, uh, most of most part of the time, I was piloting down a little bit and, because I saw a nice uh, slopey grassy ridge, you know, with good wind and up, I was just top landing, having a pee and then take off again and get back to fly, you know, which was a pretty a pretty good way to do. But now with the PP tube, it's a, it's a bit more easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Antoine, some some specific uh, questions, uh, just technique kind of stuff. That these are questions that uh, people yeah. have, have been asking uh, recently. Uh, you guys, uh, I know one of the one of the more common causes of problems or accidents in in Himalaya in the Himalaya uh, is when people land in a, in a bit of wind and they have the kind of terraced. I don't know what you call those, like the terraced rice fields, you know, and they they get blown back into uh, one of the you know, one of the steps, the step ups. Um, how do you what? How do you teach people to land in, in strong wind? What's the What's the technique there? Because there's a, that's a that's a common one. We get we get people asking, hey, what do I do if I get stuck in a venturi and I get blown over the back? And what do I do if I come in uh, to land and and it's blowing really hard? How do I you know how do I safely uh, depower the wing and not get dragged? Okay, 
Uh, I guess there, there is many many situations in yeah. in your questions. Uh, I would say there is probably a, a solution to each situation, but um, let's talk about first the the, the top lending uh, the top lending things. Um, to to top lend, and if there is a bit of wind, um, it's it's strategi strategically. Uh, if there is no wind, you will you will come. Uh, like a normal approach, like you'll come from the back lightly and build up a S shape or H shape pattern to to reach your uh, uh, small final uh, head of the wind and 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 to to touch your uh, your aim mark. Um, more the wind will increase, more the, this whole approach will shift uh, the top of the ridge and then slowly in front and then even if the wind is stronger, even down the slope. You know, you know what I mean. Like uh -huh. uh, it, it, the, the the other side would be the wind is very strong. Every time you you arrive in front of the ridge, you're climbing too high, straight. So the way to top land uh, and and stay safe a maximum would be to make your approach by under. So you will lose some height, come very low, and then uh, make your S H shape uh, curve pattern by under the. the your aim spot and climb slowly, slowly. Once you reach the the altitude limit, then the altitude level of your aim spot, you you throw yourself um, towards this this spot. Uh, again, it's it has to be um, how can I say uh, the right place to do it. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the most elementary things would be to choose a good place. And it's, it's, sometimes we we push top land in a place which is not good. Uh, so we. If you can be far from obstacles, if you can have a slope which is not too sharp, um, you will always aim at the top of the slope, you know, where, where there is a compression of wind, because you don't want to have any, any more um, uh, lift. So you, you will position yourself very tightly between the lift and between the hair, which is, uh, how can I say, uh, lying down mm -hmm. behind, the, behind the ridge. So... To be able to position yourself well, you need time. That's the first thing. You will need to have a few different uh, passages close to the ridge to analyze, to see the strength of the wind, the strength of the breeze, see if you have to come lower, or, you know. And it, it's all about time. Often accidents happen when you want to rush it. Mm. All the accident I saw with top landing was, was people don't want to be in the sky anymore. They just want to be on the ground, like all these other guys on the side. And they threw themselves always a little bit strong to the to the ridge, and uh, it, it doesn't do it well. Mm -hmm. You just need to stay close. I, I always talk about this basketball. Um, I don't know you. You know the way you put the ball in the basketball, or you call that the basketball. Uh, the hoop. The hoop. Oh, yeah. Okay. I always talk about this basketball hoop, which is your your entrance. You need to pass through this basketball hoop mm -hmm. to reach your aim point on the ground. And you have first to position your basket, basketball hoop on the right size, on, uh, on the right place in function of the wind, the angle, everything. Once you got it, uh, then you need to pass through that. So you build your approach to come close to the basket, basketball. And normally when everything is fine, after that, you just glide and you touch. Mm. Um, the thing is you, you need constant adaptation. And uh, you also need to, like I say to my students always, wait the cycle, like wait, wait like the nature just opened the doors. Mm -hmm. You know, many times you pass, you're in the right position, your basket, basketball hoop is right in front of you, but it's really bumpy and suddenly lifty or sinking too much. Or, okay, this is not the right time. You just turn out, go again for a turn, a lift, a spiral down again, whatever, and then you come back in 10 minutes and then you'll try again. And it's just about being patient, try always the same structure. And uh, once the, I would say the hair mass, the nature is cool, the door, the windows is open and then you pass and everything is fine. And usually it's, it's without any, any trouble and you just touch like a, like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. That's like a butterfly. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's for the, that's for the top landing, but you know, then, then there is all the, the Venturi and blown back and the, I would say there is there is a lot to say to every situation. But, um, what about the 
What about landing in a in a like a Venturi, like in the Alps? You get in a really bad situation with a lot of with a lot of uh, valley wind. Uh, are there are there some uh, are there some uh, advice you can give there to people that find themselves in that situation? Yeah, it happened. It happened to us on the last Alpine adventure. We we land um, close to um, in the Briançon Valley. I don't know if you know this valley, oh, which yes. is linking to it. <laughs> I know uh, it well. What it is. Yeah. Uh, there is one place uh, you must have passed over that. Uh, it's a, it's a really narrow uh, venturi at the bottom of the valley, and uh, and that's really. I mean, it's obvious. I would say the first mistake is. You have to analyze from the sky where it can be a venturi and where the the, the valley breeze will be stronger mm. <laughs> efficiently. Mm. Uh, that would be the the first things to do. Like and for sure you avoid that. I remember one time in in the Sion Valley that you must also know. Um, the we could see we could already spot the wind in the Sion Valley which was so strong. Uh, we were pretty high and. Our forward speed were, were very, very low, so we decided to top land uh, in high altitude, mm. which is most part of the time a good solution, uh, some nice field in, in high altitude. But if you're stuck into the breeze, uh, it's pretty hard. Uh, if you're lucky, you, you're stuck uh, ahead of a clear point behind, and then you, you have to stay uh, front of the wind, look at your uh, aiming point behind you, and build again your approach, you know, uh, but looking at behind and flying nearly backwards. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Very, uh, very scary. Not, I think the, uh, the, the best advice there is like you said, just avoid it to, to begin with. I, I, I have yeah. often found that I think what people get really get in trouble with is if, if you are in that switch situation, you really have to be thinking, uh, fast, you know, if you panic or you, because it might be quite a bit of time before you're on the ground, there's still, you know, there's still quite a bit of lift. Every, yeah. every little thing that's in the way is going to be lift. So you, you have to not be afraid to turn and run and because you can cover a lot of ground yeah. and go downwind, uh, yeah. and get to yeah. a much better place. You know, even if you only have a few hundred feet, you know, you can really cover, you know, if you're, if you're just trying so hard to get into a tiny little place with a bunch of trees behind it, it's probably not going to work. If you can fly downwind to a better place, you know, avoiding things like high tension power lines and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> you know? And I, I was going to add, you know, like we, we got a sentence, which, which I find funny. We, we always say like Vegeta is your friend. Mm. So you, you know what it means. It's, you, you, you better choose. Uh, if you, if you don't have any more option to land and, uh, roads and lines and trees and whatever. I mean, always choose trees. That would be the first things to do. Mm. You will probably destroy your glider, but you have a chance. Mm. Um, and then the, the last time it happened to me, um, I had kind of a lot of amount of stress who come suddenly. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need really to. And my first idea is always, okay, get your legs warm, you know, and I'm, I'm standing out of my harness and just like pumping with the legs just to, to put the blood in it and, and get really warm muscles because I'm like, okay, maybe this way I might, I might be dragged on the ground a little bit. So I, I really need to be ready for that. And I spend the last two, three minutes before touching the ground, really warming up, warming up to be wow. ready to any eventuality. And that's, just when you, when, when you say that, I mean, I, I remember two, three, two, three times like that, one time in the Himalaya and, uh, and, and few other times in the Alps where, I, I had this huge like okay, let's let's warm up really quick the legs. Let's be ready for for a bit up in a way, <laughs> you know. And 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 that was fine. But like you say, you touch, then you need to put your glider on the ground. You need to be uh, ready to to be dragged to to roll ball like we say and 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 stop the flying. But yeah. it's hard. And I, like the most important is to not make the mistake. Like you have to think ahead of that <laughs> before it happens. Yeah, I mean, and typically in, in, in Europe, when the valley winds are very strong, you know, in July and August, the, the, the trick there is just to stay high, you know, and, and uh, if, yeah. you're, if you're not going to make a crossing top land and wait for wait for a better moment. Yeah, I mean, and you can you can even top land, uh, but often more you go in the evening and more the, the breeze is strong, but it's uh it's, it's always the same you know often accidents happen because even on on I'm, I'm in the flatlands here in in south of france and uh still we have uh, accident coming like the guy didn't want to walk 200 meters and he just he just wanted to reach the the little field close to the road 
And but this field was a little bit tricky, and uh, there was a line and this and that. And often it's it's just a little, you know, a little um, laziness who make us uh, having such stupid accidents sometimes. You know, <laughs> I, I yeah. To... I mean, it's priority has to be has to be uh, safety. So you voila, because it's it's so easy in a flight. You know, you in a two hours flight, but just in, in two minutes, just at the end of the flight, but then you. Uh, you have a little things, and then it, it's the next two months are, are not. <laughs> I, I have to, you know. I have to admit to a, my, my own quite embarrassing moment like that in the X Alps. The last, uh, the last night, I was trying to catch Ferdy. You know, he had flown over me that day because I thought it was unflyable, and I was just sitting. I'd gotten a really bad situation, and exactly where you're talking about, south of Brianson and the, that ski area. I think it's bars or vowels or something, and got yeah, got absolutely. caught in that uh, lee side of that terrible. Uh, valley wind and really scary and anyway ran up the hill on the other side and took off and had this beautiful evening flight uh that 60k uh down towards uh, down towards monaco and now or something I, I can't remember the name but there's a little tiny very narrow little uh you know canyon that, that goes all the way out to the coast um right. and, and uh and it, but the, you have to land by 9 p.m you know, so at, at 8.45 p.m., I was at 3,000. I was high and beautiful and the sun is setting. It's just gorgeous. But you have to be on the ground by nine or you get penalized. And uh, yeah. so I'm just full bar and beautiful and just gorgeous air. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm imagining in my head that I'm flying over Ferdy. And and, uh, and as I got down towards the ground, at, you know, 8.58, I've got two minutes. And I've got this huge field, massive beautiful fantastic field that all i have to do is turn into there wasn't even really much wind i just have to turn and land and but there's this little tiny postage stamp you know 200 meters down the road it's just a little tiny bit i mean literally 200 meters closer to to monaco so of course i go for that uh and you know i am an exams pilot i won't screw this up and you know i have to do this really <laughs> whippy spiral into just you know just to make it between the house and the fence and the road and and uh just exploded my harness you know i had a very lightweight you know exops up there harness yeah. just exploded it my last flight you know oh, you're so stupid <laughs> I, just, I was fine thankfully but you know just uh, silly stuff like that is is so easily avoided <laughs> ah, that's important yeah you need you need to stay clear always yeah this yeah is, for yeah. sure for sure Antoine, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, how can people before we before we end here? How can people find out more about your your uh, alpine adventures and your trips in 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 the Himalaya? Well, I'm I'm not really good at communicating. Um, <laughs> my friend know that I'm I'm not, I'm not the best communicators. But anyway, the the really the it's good. It's a good filter, you know, like. You you then get the people who really want to do it, which is sure. not bad. Perfect. Uh, but no, they just can simply send me a mail uh, at uh, Antoine underscore Lawrence uh, at Yahoo.fr. That's that, that would be the simplest. If not, we have a Facebook Facebook page for the Alpine Adventure, and uh, mostly also people contact me directly. For I'm doing a lot of this um, three days. A BV course, you know, um, in the Himalaya, I, I kind of changed my, my way to, to instruct there. Uh, I like to take people, like small group, uh, two or three guys maximum, and then we just go for two or three days, so like two nights out, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. And this is this is small, a little bit like you done with uh, with John, you know, the same things. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of having a proper long ten days course, so you always got some bad weather or whatever now with two three days like that we we really focus on the on the good days and uh and we just go for uh not with a big objective of of distance uh that's this never my my big things uh like i say earlier i prefer stop the flyer a little bit earlier and have the time to find a nice spot and make your top landing safe you know and that's the most important so this kind of trip uh, we do that a lot now in in, in himalaya in october november and then the, the Alpine Adventure is running every year now for the last four years. Uh, last week of June and first week of July, we do always a uh, up and down the way. Uh, we are fully booked for this year, <laughs> unfortunately, but we'll do it next year all the way, um, again. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll put all that information in the, in the show notes so people can have it and they can try to uh, book you up next year, but that's fantastic, man. That's a good problem to have. Well done. And then I expect, to, uh, <laughs> I expect to hear from you uh, out in front of us when we're, when they're in the X ops, if you, if you'll give me some of your own private information and not to anybody else, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, I'm not going to fly at the same speed. You know, we have, no, a, we have a small uh, objective average kilometer per day, <laughs> not compared to you guys. <laughs> but thanks a lot to uh, to having me on your on your podcast. That that's really good, and I hope uh, it helps. It's good. It's fantastic. Antoine, so great to talk to you and catch up. Uh, we need to do this more often and I can't wait to see you this spring as we always do. And thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Cool. <laughs> thanks a lot, Kevin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed that. Always great to sit down with a, an amazing friend and pilot and get his advice on so many critical things. All the things we talked about in that show are in the show notes, cloudbasedmayhem.com. Underneath the uh, podcast link, you'll find the links to Antoine's Alpine Adventures and his uh, Himalayan Sky Safari Adventures and all the things that he's up to. So please uh, go in there and check that out and review some of the things we talked about in the show. As always, all we ask for is a buck a show. If you want to support the podcast, this is a listener-supported podcast. We ask for a buck a show. That goes a long way into making all of this possible. As you can imagine, this takes a ton of time. Stoked to do it and stoked to bring you this information. You can find the links to donate either through PayPal or through Patreon on the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. Patreon is a new way we have to support the show where you can kind of set it and forget it and be rewarded for doing so. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, if you can't support us financially, no big deal. Uh, there's many other ways to support the show. You can talk about us on Facebook or the social medias. Uh, tell your friends. The whole reason this is out there is just to share knowledge and make all of us safer and better and, and allow us to fly farther. So tell other people about it. Give us a rating on iTunes. Those ratings actually go a long ways to bumping us up and allowing other people to find the show. So Thank you very much for that. Uh, I am heading out on a UK little short film tour with North Unknown. You can find information on that through uh, Cross Country Magazine and on their website and on my website. We've got a few fun days planned in the UK the first week of April. Uh, we've got a couple days of master classes, they're calling it, up at Jockey Sanderson's Flight Park in the Lake District, where I'll be talking about bull biv and expeditions and what to pack and how to be safe and how to top land and hopefully get a couple days of good flying with y'all out there. So check those out. I think Saturday's sold out, but we've still got some slots on Sunday. And then we've got a venue hopefully over in Sweden and also in Oslo to shore North and Known. And I'll be introducing the film and telling some kind of fun backstories about Dave and I's adventure across the Alaska range. So hope you'll join me for those. Again, all that's on the website. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the next one. Cheers.